right, Brian, it is showtime, as you just mentioned. Oopsie-daisy, right? Like, can you believe it? Episode 27 of the Trino Community Broadcast already again. Of Ooh. course, the best SQL query engine in the whole wild world. And today, we are broadcasting from around the world. Myself, I put myself into Europe this time. I'm broadcasting here from Salzburg, Austria. Paul is from, our guest Paul is broadcasting from New York. And Brian, as usual, sitting in good old Chicago, <laughs> bringing us all the news of the world in Trino land. So what's going on today, Brian? Well, apparently our intro song like sped up there for a second. Did you guys hear yeah. that or was that just my my side? Um, <laughs> it sounded like the same thing and I was like going with it again as usual. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I guess it was on my side then because I actually got like a sped up version. It's weird. Um, yeah, so today we have on uh, Paul from uh, Treeverse and uh, he's going to be talking to us a little bit about uh, this really interesting product called LakeFS. Um, so uh, welcome, Paul. Thanks for joining us today on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do and what uh, a little bit about Treeverse without, you know, going into the full detail. Yeah, uh, sure. Hey, uh, Brian and Manfred, thanks for having me. Really exciting to be here. Um, I'm Paul. I'm a developer advocate at Treeverse, which is a company that's developing an open source project uh, called LakeFS. Uh, at a very high level, we provide um, Git, um, like a Git for data uh, product that lets you version your code and have, uh, you know, Git-inspired workflows for your data pipelines. Yeah, we're going to dive a lot more into that uh, for the rest of the show. And it's it's uh, it's a really cool kind of like a newish kind of concept uh, that I think, you know, I, I heard the uh, and I'm always going to forget her name. Eileen uh, or uh, I, Inat. 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 I'm, I'm like, I knew I was going to screw it up. Um, but uh, yeah, Inat like talked really well about this on another podcast, uh, Open Source Data with uh, Sam Ramji. And like uh, really cool story that kind of led up to this. I don't know if you you know this, like can, can tell the story as well, Paul, but maybe when we get to the concept of the week, I'd like to dive into that a little bit more because yeah, it's like, it's kind of an, one of these interesting things that are, an, it's a newer type of concept uh, in, in terms of thinking about get on your data, right? And so, um, so that's definitely something I'm really excited to, to talk about. Uh, and, and, you know, something that's really exciting that could save a lot of pain for uh, a lot of engineers and late nights and all that kind of fun jazz, right? So, um, so before we hop into all that, uh, let's go right ahead and uh, do a little bit of uh, the uh, um, uh, start or the ad for the show. <laughs> I'm Colleen Tarto. I am the Director of Engineering on Starburst Galaxy. What is it actually offering? So, I mean, I, I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but oh. is it doing a lot more? Uh, what what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating? Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a, it's got a car. It's got yeah. some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know. Um, and Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, 
better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best-in-class support from the folks who work for us, and they know Trino best because they created Trino, and they're con continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole other level, right? So one of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that, right? So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more. And one last question. As yeah. uh going to be any free offerings coming up anytime soon. Is that on the road? Absolutely. We're building out, we've got a free trial. Um, so if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what. We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trino uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you. All right. Um, so Manfred, uh, we, we kind of left off uh, doing a little preview for 362, but we actually, I think, covered most of what was going on. But just wanted to give you a quick opportunity to kind of, you know, go back over anything we might have missed and maybe give us a little sneaky peek of uh, 363. Yeah, yeah, let's be sneaky. Last time, it really <laughs> our prediction that the release is going to come up shortly after the broadcast was live, because guess what? It was released literally a day or two after. Um, it's 10 days ago now, so the 20th um, of September when we got 362 out. And the changes we discussed then were basically um, the changes that made it in. So list aggregation function and a whole bunch of things in various connectors. Um, and the cool thing is, um, since then, if you look at the Git commit history and the commits in the code base, there's like four pages of changes already. So 363 is shaping up to be a pretty interesting one. Well, <laughs> so the engineers are not resting. The hackers are going on it uh, with more and more speed, more and more contribution. So it's you know, I'm loving how it's going on. Uh, specifically, I'm noticing that a whole bunch of stuff is making it into the MinIO kind of support and the testing of that. So for those of you that use alternative S3 compatible object storage with the Hive connector, um, I think you can, you'll find out that it's gonna improve even more, even though it's working very well. So that's cool. Uh, Iceberg connector is always busy. And then also I noticed again, as in the 362 release, a whole bunch of stuff is happening on the BigQuery connector. So there's really some significant effort going into BigQuery. So this is really uh, showing up to be a first-class citizen connector in every regard. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's it's really neat. I, I've heard a lot of chatter recently about BigQuery because it's like, you know, everybody's looking for maybe an alternative to like Snowflake as kind of the, uh, you know, the, the, the ETL kind of traditional data warehouse engine. So some people are, are totally all on board with, with, you know, Snowflake, others kind of want the, the alternatives and, you know, and so I, uh, I think that, you know, for the people that are in the let's get away from Snowflake camp, you know, their uh, BigQuery has become a, a popular, op like a secondary option, I think, for those. And and even people that kind of maybe have uh, particular uses, I think there's a lot of like machine learning kind of stuff built into. Yeah, there's all yeah. sorts of additional tooling. So it's pretty cool, um, which by the way gets me, uh, which also interesting. 
Uh, all the things we talked about are all big object storage, data lake, data mesh, data warehousey kind of like technologies, which yeah. really are showing the strength of um, of Trino. And that gets me to Paul's topic because I have no clue about LakeFS, but I use Git all the time. So I'm super curious on what this will mean. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I love Git. I use it every day, but it's also tricky. So let's find out a bit more about LakeFS and how it relates to Git and object storage and whatever. Tell me more. Teach me about this. <laughs> well, let's go to the concept of the week. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Paul, but please tell us more about LakeFS and uh, Git on object storage. Uh, of course. So... Um... Essentially, um, object stores are really popular for data and analytics type of work. Uh, so there's some estimates that the amount of data for this purpose, like being stored in your S3, Azure Blob, uh, Google Cloud Storage, MinIO, um, is doubling each year. There's, you know, it's no secret there's a lot of data being generated and people are trying to make use of it. Yeah. And um, the experience of using object stores as, you know, they're meant to store data, but they aren't necessarily meant for all the workflows that they support related to data and analytics work. Yeah. So <clears throat> what we um, realized having used object stores for a number of years is that um, if we could extend them with uh, additional operations, then they could be better. And conveniently, we found, or we, um, you know, had the realization that if you could take a lot of the workflows that are used for um, source code management, that deploy applications uh, and let people collaborate in isolated branches, um, if you could apply those to working with data over object stores, then um, it makes your life a lot easier and uh, some, some processes simpler and they can take less time and be more efficient. So um, that's can what LakeFS like is. A, what's, a, what's a typical kind of use case that maybe we want, like, you know, I, I, I'm running into some some sort of problem where I would, I would need this. So could you kind of give me like either a use case or like, I think maybe even motivating this, like what, what kind of problem w would be the kind of uh, primary driver that, that people would use LakeFS for to, you know, and, and particularly this whole Git workflow, because I think that's kind of the foreign part of like, okay, I get it for source control, but like my data, like I'm not going to be looking at diffs over, you know, unless they're text files, right? But typically we're dealing with like binary blobs, right? So it's like, some people might get a little confused by that. Uh, what What's your take on current in terms of like where uh, where this really shines? Yeah, so there's it's um, a great question. There's um, three three use cases that uh, I like to point to. Um, one is fixing and understanding the root cause of data errors. Um, so you have, uh, you know, it, it happens like every day, there'll be uh, an error uh, it, with data or data's sort of missing or, or just wrong. 
And, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not always the simplest process to identify the bad records or at the very least just return the data to a previous correct state. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be, you know, looking for like individual files, um, or running delete queries with certain filters and, and kind of mess things up more. Um, so one thing that having version data lets you do is, again, similar to Git, is let's, um, you know, restore the data to a, a previous commit and, and like yeah. run a revert command to um, like in, in one line and instantly yeah. bring it back to um, a, a better better point in time. Now, there's a there's a similar kind of, uh, you know, momentum going with that that particular use case uh, in in the table format space. Right. So like you have Iceberg, Hootie and, and uh, Delta Lake. Um, is this kind of this overlapping with any of those those use cases or are they the same thing or is it different? Could you kind of uh, dive into that a little bit? Because I think a lot of our, our, our people we are big Iceberg fans typically. And yeah. so. Um, so I think that that's kind of that triggers the association there in my mind with Iceberg and what they're offering as well. Yeah, it's um, they're definitely there's some overlap uh, in some ways. I think they're complementary, um, mm-hmm. and I'd say we're still we're still figuring out the the workflows around um, like a real modern data lake that is uh, effectively using both types of technologies. So. Yeah. A crucial distinction um, or distinction is uh, that um, with LakeFS, we um, have a concept of a repository, uh, which should be, again, familiar. And um, the typical architecture we do recommend is to have essentially one giant repository with all your tables. And so compared to Iceberg, you can have uh, you know, 50 iceberg tables in one LakeFS repository. And um, it kind of gives you, yeah, you know, I mean, one way you can think of it is gives you like another lever instead of uh, maybe rolling back uh, 50 different iceberg tables. Yeah. Now you have this um, sort of uh, higher level view or, or like layer where you can roll back all tables in a consistent way to um, a specific LakeFS commit. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I think, yeah. go ahead, Manfred. So, so when you say, so this, this, like the, the analogy to get is very interesting because, um, like, you know, a data lake is basically a bunch of files, they're binary files, but they're a bunch of files. They happen to be stored in the cloud somewhere. Git as a version control system is very much all about, uh, like obviously Linux, uh, Linus Torvalds wrote it initially and is, he's very much a file system guy. So that, that works very well together but in the git world at least um there was a bit of a change over to like there's a certain threshold of pain involved once a repository gets very big mm-hmm. but now on the lake fs side you are talking about massive amounts of data so how does that chime in when you say you can have just one repo i'm like scratching my head because in the past i've like mucked around with like android for example and the source code for android and it's super painful when you have like a very large Git repository, and then you have tools of like having to deal with multiple Git repositories. So how does that work with LakeFS? Do you like like really one repository and what's in the repository? 
maybe yeah. you can explain a bit. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure if this was the main idea of your question, but one, uh, I think, important component um, or like design principle of Lake of S is that, um, you know, we really went all in and designed it to be scalable. The, the idea is to bring that Git-like versioning to, um, you know, where, where it couldn't be brought before. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like technically impossible. It was just that no one really designed. No one even whole, attempted it, right? No one attempted to. So we're uh, proud of being innovative in that way. Um, and it does kind of, uh, you know, it, it does take people a little bit of time to, um, you know, accept the fact that, it, it you know, it's possible. And uh, Brian alluded earlier to, Oz's and Enot's, um, you know, sort of origin story yeah. coming from. Yeah, let's hear about similar, that a little bit. Similar web, yeah. You know, I, I recommend going to uh, the the podcast he mentioned for probably a much more detailed version. But I'll link it. Similar... I'll link it in the show notes for the for the uh, people listening in. Yeah, but at uh, at similar web, which is the company they uh, they had the idea of Lake of S four and, and left to start it. You know, they were working with um, a very, I don't know if it's one of the largest data lakes, but it's a, it's an analytics company that, uh, that provides insights into, uh, from my understanding, a lot of like uh, Amazon product data. And they're yeah. just ingesting um, tons of, of data in that way. And it's, it's petabyte scale. And, um, you know, LakeFS was designed to handle um, data lakes of, of that, of that, um, that scale yeah very that cool that sounds very aggressive and amazing to me so it should be yeah. cool <laughs> to find yeah. out more so, yeah so okay finish um <laughs> yeah sorry just another thread to to think back to the original question but um so essentially LakeFS is a you know it, it it keeps track of metadata about your data um uh, one of the fundamental concepts is the commit which um you know, a commit is taken over a repository. Yeah. So it's like a snapshot of your data at that time. And yeah. behind the scenes, the LakeFS side, it's uh, it's very efficiently keeping track of which files are contained in each commit. And, you know, it's as much as possible pointer-based. So um, there's no data duplication. And in that way, you can hop in time between commits across your whole repository. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, and, and I think like once you kind of uh, associate it with Git, it's at fir the first like glance at it when you're just changing out the actual content that you're sourcing, right? Or that, that you're essentially like, you know, doing all of this uh, atomic snapshotting with, you know, it, it kind of does like, you know, gives you a second guess. But then like after you think about it a while, I mean, especially now with table formats kind of taking one, one more granular view of, of snapshotting. Now you guys are taking this kind of more holistic repo approach. Um, and that is very analogous to, to kind of the, the way that we use like Git and we sort, we, we're sourcing source code, right? Um, it's just as like, if you think about data in terms of like value, like, you know, the same way that we have source code, any time that we're spending writing that source code, making sure that it aligns well with other things like, and, and, and it's versioned properly and that we can understand it, you know, going back, it's that's the same needs are there for data that there are for, 
for like source code, right? And so I think the analogy was actually kind of very interesting and, and, and beautiful that you all put that, uh, that, that you're using Git because um, it's, it makes a lot of sense. You know, data is super valuable. Data takes a lot of time to get and and make correct and make sure that if you do kind of like, let's say, you know, uh, go off into like a, a kind of feature thing and then you you kind of get the, get a chance to play around and then possibly fail, um, you know, uh, and not screw anything up, then, you know, you're, you're not affecting anything that's going on in the main branch. Right. Uh, and, and this, this, these same concerns that exist for, you know, writing good source code is also about like, you know, generating and, and sourcing good data to, to analyze. So it's, it's a very cool analogy. And, and it, at first, you know, when you, you think, oh, well, why are you making that analogy? But then it just like, as you just ponder on it for a bit, it just makes perfect sense. So, so yeah, so it's very cool. Um, so, and I may have alluded to, there's a sec couple other uh, uh, use cases you were going to get into, and I, I think I kind of trailed off on you on for you there. But. Yeah, I wasn't uh, sure if I should hop, uh, like continue <laughs> that thread, but I, I agree that was a, a great teaser for um, a, another important use case, uh, which is, um, you know, br branching and ultimately to help, um, hmm. you know, create a realistic and complete development environment for your data where you can run, run different tests, um, particularly run tests in parallel uh, in a more thoughtless and, and elegant way. Yeah. And maybe you would uh, just over object storage itself. And, um, you know, ultimately it, for larger teams, it helps you essentially collaborate better in terms of being more independent. Yeah. Um, you know, if I write this data here or I overwrite this data set, maybe it won't, you know, ruin someone else's model or experiment or, you know, maybe it would. And it's easier when you can take the um, another Git inspired command that we um, expose is branching. Yeah. Uh, so you create a branch of your, again, repository and um, it doesn't copy the data uh, until essentially it has to. Um, if you make so, a change and, and write it back. So, so let me let me get this straight. So you're saying similar to how you can work with Git, have your separate clone of the repository, create a branch in there, and work independently without being messed up by other people working on it. You can do the same now with LakeFS on a data lake. Yes. Wow. Perfectly That's interesting. So like, I, uh, I can think of a lot of use cases for that. <laughs> That's cool. Oh, for sure. But the question kind of comes to me just like, you know, so is standard practice by like when you, when you are consulting and, and, you know, you're, you're helping out in, any of your customers uh, that are using, uh, I don't know if, is it called Treeverse or is it, are you guys just adding support to, to TreeFS is, or is there an enterprise version? Um, we're, we're solely uh, open source project okay. at the moment um of, of LakeFS. okay so so you have your your consulting for kind of LakeFS. if i'm if, if that's not the i mean correct me if i'm wrong but then you essentially um if somebody's using LakeFS and you're kind of telling them how to do this would you advise then like to basically test and prod you know if you're uh but obviously not on that branch right you have branches now 
you could test with the prod data and essentially branch off into that. Like, is that is that what you advise to do, or is there any repercussions of like you know uh, of still doing that? Is there like resource intense intense uh, uh, like a uh, you know, pieces that you still have to consider. Cause like at the end of the day, they have one cluster or like a, a production cluster that can't go down. So like, but for the most part, like what's in practice, do you, do you recommend doing some testing or how do you like, you know, advise people around those types of situ scenarios where you, um, you know, you can essentially test and prod kind of. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I would say that, um, there, there are certain scenarios where maybe you don't want to test and prod, you know, you're <laughs> connecting, if you're running too many experiments, you don't want to hook up, uh, your, you know, your, your data warehouse or your, uh, Trino cluster to, um, to, you know, run all these tests. Um, mm -hmm. but I will say that you have the option to at least, and that's, uh, that's a useful option that doesn't, uh, come as easily without something like, like LakeFS. So oh. you have the option to, it's definitely useful to, you know, before you, if it's, if it's a, you know, maybe consumer facing or super important type of, of data set or, or process you're running, it's always useful to run it, you know, in as realistic a, a an environment before it goes live. So you, yeah. you have the option to do that. It, what you would say does bring up, um, an important, um, point that is just a struggle for data stacks and environments yeah. um you know is that like once you once you have like a prod and dev environment for one tool and like if that's like versioning that can kind of provide that you know you have to mirror those environments across your whole stack and that can be you know not every tool is as easy to install and to support that so you can run into issues where um, you, you know, you're pointing too many versions of your data now at, uh, you know, like one uh, Metastore or one SQL engine, something like that. Like, here's a crazy thought. Like, would the goal ever be to, like, basically have one go go now to one environment and then, like, you just constantly scale up that environment and you have, like, a Vesta branch for your staging and your dev and your testing and you're just working off, like, one, you know, like... I don't know. Is that is that has that ever been a thought that's crossed your mind? And is that something you think would even be like on the on a conceivable roadmap? Because you guys are kind of thinking out of the box. So that would be kind of a crazy like, hey, we don't have to have staging or or all these different environments now that are fake copies of of the real thing, and they don't really do a good job at you know mimicking a lot. Like we had so many times where when we got up to the real scale, it just like tumbled over like whatever thing that maybe we wrote so like what if what if you just had one environment that you just like you don't have to now maintain a whole bunch of these and now you're just branching and doing a whole bunch of stuff like you know where you you're you've got a stage branch and you have a dev branch and you have a everybody's own, own has their own branch in this one environment and you just scale up yeah. the resources that's yeah that's i think that's that's um that's really getting towards the the, the vision we have or, or essentially what's possible. Um, you know, yeah. data is often um, the, 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 the blocker towards, um, you know, achieving that at the larger scales. You, it's just not really feasible to copy a data set that's, you know, has millions or billions of files 
and is petabytes and up. It's you know it has a it has a lot of gravity, and it can be expensive, you know, to to run the full test essentially. Um, but um, it definitely is nice. Uh, you know, I think LakeFS makes the data, even very large data, as lightweight as possible to yeah. do things like that. You know, let me just get a quick copy of it and do something here. Um, it's a, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so that was two. What you said there were three. Do you uh, can you pull up the third kind of? Yeah. So so we talked about um, you know essentially fixing and reproducing production errors. We talked about having this nice instantly available realistic dev environment and a third area um like in in a typical data workflow life cycle that mm -hmm. uh we really feel LakeFS contributes is uh what we call deploying data mm -hmm. and uh the git operation that shines here that LakeFS exposes is merging mm -hmm. so you can merge data from one branch to another um you know, if you create a branch, run an experiment, see which one, um, you know, is performing better. Uh, if it's, if it's maybe like a, just, you know, metrics differences or, or even like a ma machine learning model, um, taking inputs from it. Um, you can then, uh, you can, you know, if it was like a experiment branch, you can then, and you like that data better you can merge it into the production main branch. Mm -hmm. And um, this is something that it's, a, it's, it's an improvement on the way a lot of data lakes work today, where data is just um, added into production, uh, into like the main data set, and then maybe like testing occurs after. Yeah. Um, here, you know, across multiple tables, again, you can merge data from one branch into another and expose it atomically. And um, additionally, this does give rise to an opportunity to run data quality checks um, pre before the merge. Um, so we allow you to define um, those those tests as, as hooks, as we call them, mm -hmm. and uh, fail the merge from succeeding if the, the test fails and of course it will succeed if it passes so hmm. um so big another big part of the strategy it sounds like is like automation 100 like kind of a cicd kind of um you know bring bring out different ways rather than just testing software really bring in the testing the data uh element in as as well yep cool hundred percent. So awesome. a question about that merging then when you like earlier on, you talked about how LakeFS um, manages and operates on the metadata about the data lake. Mm -hmm. um, but then now when you talk about merging, you're talking about the actual data being affected or somehow. So, so how, how, where's the border there between what LakeFS does and doesn't do say like deleting data or, or like modifying bulk data and stuff like that. Where, where is it just a branch and where are the actual files? Like in this image, you have LakeFS sort of wrapping around S3 and MinIO and others. Where, where is the blurry lines there? I'm not sure I fully understand how it works internally, obviously, architecturally. Yeah. 
No, great, great question. So um, yeah, ra wrapping around is actually a, a phrase uh, we use to describe how it uh, works with the object store. Um, for better or worse, sometimes people uh, are, are afraid by that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I mean, LakeFS generates its own metadata about your data to understand primarily which which block which objects or files are contained um, in each commit, and then commits belong to a branch and. Um, you know, if you're merging one branch into another, it, it has pointers to the actual data objects um, and knows and essentially is keeping track of which ones uh, should be available on a branch or a commit. But um, the data is still stored in your um, object storage. It is, I guess you could say, LakeFS, um, you know, sort of, reaching in and okay. um uh yeah but so, the data so 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 we have we had this lakefs store its metadata then like i know like most of these like s3 or minio they all use the hive meta store for the metadata about the object store is lakefs sitting in the hive meta store or storing it there or does it have its own storage system hopefully maybe so it can work with the multiple meta stores or whatever like how Where's that stuff stored? Is there another layer somewhere that I can't see on the image at least? <laughs> yep. So LakeFS uh, runs as a binary service uh, service that you um, you know can run on Kubernetes or um, you know ECS or any you know as any any type of service, and it uses a combination at the moment of um, an internal Postgres database and mm -hmm. the object store itself, mostly the object store to keep track of the data. It is, uh, it is one of our um, sort of longer term projects to eventually remove the Postgres dependency. Um, it's just, it, it'll be a fairly significant refactor internally that um, we're going so to complete, but yeah. Yeah. So it's a it's a bit like Git, where all the Git metadata is also stored in the file system. Just happens to be in a hidden directory in like .git and all the files in there. Yeah. Yep. In your case, it just like all the metadata is in files that are also in the object store, but they're just metadata. Is that right? Yep. Oh. Yeah. It's very similar. Similar to. Uh... I'm I'm more familiar actually with with Delta Lake than Iceberg, but I assume they're very similar in the way like you know you can see the Delta log, uh, you know, next to yeah, the data yeah, yeah. in your okay. table. Yep. Yeah, that's similar. Okay, that's interesting. Very cool. Very very cool. It's amazing how far that analogy then that basically goes. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is a very good. I I I stand on it again. It's it's a very solid analogy <laughs> to use. So um, let's see if we, I, we ha I had a couple of features kind of written down here uh, in some of these use cases, but uh, you know, anything else you wanted to kind of cover before uh, I dive into a little bit of a, a demo to kind of maybe solidify some of the, the uh, things that we're talking about here or, or anything you wanted to kind of, uh, you know, feel free to like talk about what you all do at Treeverse. Like what, what, what is actually, that's a question right there. What, what do you all do at Treeverse? And uh, you know, and, and how does Treeverse relate to LakeFS? 
Yeah, so it's um, there isn't too much uh, distinction, I guess, to make there. It's pretty common. Um, you know, a couple other examples are like uh, superconductive around great expectations is another project, and uh, you know what what used to be called Fishtown Analytics around DBT. Yeah, uh, yeah. just just more like a, a, a formal company company entity um around the the open source project got it um so you know we don't we actually are starting to um be a little more active in sort of consulting with some of our users but we're mainly what we're mainly doing is building a community trying to help the data community understand and and use lakefs to um you know, help them with whatever data work they're they're doing. Um, so, me personally, as the advocate, um, you know, producing uh, content uh, and and speaking, uh, yeah. and uh, but otherwise, we're developing the the project. We're responding to to user requests. We're giving help in our uh, help and support in our Slack. Yeah. Um, yeah, Enid, uh, your your CEO, she isn't she like a like a a physicist or something like that, or like a some really crazy PhD title. Um, and is that yep. like that's how she, she has her background in kind of data? It's kind of an interesting story on how she got into the whole data biz, I think. But uh, um, what what the, do you know what she does or do, offhand or? Yeah, I mean she she was an algorithms engineer. Oh, um, okay. I think her first experience, I, I actually don't know too much of, um, like specifically like what she was doing and what types of languages and environments she was working in. Gotcha. Uh, that is so, so, idea. so maybe in, in, in the spirit of getting towards the demo that Brian gets shows, can you give us a bit of an idea, Paul, what does it take to get to use Lakehouse, uh, LakeFS. Okay. So you you have your data lake on whatever technology it mm -hmm. is even compatible with. And then what's what does it take to get into it? Yeah, so, um, you know, you, you have your data in an object store and uh, you you can, um, you know, once you have LakeFS installed again on like a, as a service on like Kubernetes or um, on a, you know, any sort of, uh, instance, um, you, uh, so you can import your existing data. You can see our, our documentation way to do that, or just write new data, um, to the repository. And the important point here is that we, um, maintain API compatibility with, um, S3. So any, tool or technology that knows how to read or write from S3 um, can pretty seamlessly uh, start reading and writing from uh, Lake, uh, LakeFS uh, mm. by, mm. Um, you know, it's, it's common as the case in Trino where you can set uh, the S3 endpoint yeah. um, for, um, you know, the tech, for the, like for, for if you have a Hive connector that that queries and is set up, you and you point it as an S3 URL. Now you're pointing it at a Lakehouse URL. You point it to your LakeFS server URL, and it essentially uh, you know works uh, seamlessly behind the scenes. 
Yeah. Yeah. And you could also do the same with uh, iceberg as well. I didn't actually have that part in the demo, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it's like, yeah, the same swap out that you would do for, um, you know, running it on MinIO. Anything that you can run on MinIO or S3. Yeah. It's just like a, a swap for uh, the, the, um, uh, the keys that you're using and the endpoint. So mm -hmm. cool. Well, maybe you want to show us, Brian. I will. Let's do the demo of the week. There was too many screens to click through. I I couldn't get my screen up fast enough. But here we are. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. So um, we are going to be covering uh, how to run Trino on LakeFS today. Um, I have just a couple, I'm, I'm going to actually put a lot more of, uh, uh, the, um, kind of background on how to, uh, run this, uh, after the show, I didn't get really too much of a chance to, uh, to get that. But for the most part, uh, as, as per most of these demos that we have in here, um, we go to the Trino getting started, uh, repo that I have going on here. We now have a little spot. Uh, is every, is my screen showing correctly? Yeah, looking perfectly. Mm -hmm. We see the Trino get getting started repository and GitHub where all your hackery for all the Trino community broadcasts can be found. And you're looking at yes. the Lake FS folder now. Or yeah, we got a new Lake FS folder. So this is a uh, kind of, um, pretty much a copy of what I did for the, uh, Hive and Iceberg folders. Uh, but I just mixed them into one. Um, I haven't played around with Iceberg, so I'm not going to do that live on the show today, but I am going to uh, toy around with Hive. So you go into that one, and basically it's typical setup, Docker Compose on the bottom, and then all the all the configuration files. Um, but as we were kind of mentioning, I wanted to just jump into this uh, real, real fast um, that, uh, you know, in terms of the, the configuration. So you have a Hive or an Iceberg setting that you have here. And the, the big difference uh, that we're going to see here is we're going to have, instead of uh, the endpoint here, let me just bring up for those that haven't seen this before. Let's go to um, the MinIO one. Uh, we'll Brian is looking at catalog properties files for querying MinIO Hive. Yep. And we're looking yeah, so at the connection URL, right? Yeah, I highly recommend if you're uh, if you go to the Trino getting started um, uh, pay, uh, uh, repo and then just go into the you know we're we're comparing the Hive uh, Trino uh, Trino and MinIO um, uh, project with the uh, with the LakeFS one. So if we hop into the configuration files and look, whoops, not configuration files. I meant to go into the Etsy folder that is going to be and catalog folder that is going to be um, where we store our catalogs from MinIO, um, from Hive, and then we'll we'll compare that. So this is the MinIO one, and you can see the endpoint here for MinIO is just whatever URL I, I have set to directly talk to my my MinIO cluster. So that's MinIO, and then the port is 9000. Um, I made my access keys for MinIO uh, uh, super, super simple, which brings up a funny story here I'll talk about in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, MinIO and MinIO123 are my access key and my secret key for MinIO, right? If we compare that to what we have in the high properties for LakeFS, all we're really doing here is changing out the endpoint. So we have the LakeFS, which is the thing I'm using internally for Docker as the URL. And then instead of port 9,000, I'm doing port 8,000. And then I just update my access key and my secret key. Now, I 
I usually make these access key, secret key things like really dumb and simple. So you, you, when you're playing around with it, uh, I did that again when I was putting this demo together and ran into a bit of an issue that uh, luckily the folks at uh, on the Slack channel of, at Lake at the uh, LakeFS Slack channel uh, were able to help me out with. Um, the, they actually run the algorithm to verify that these access keys and secret keys are correct. Uh, and so they have a standard example uh, uh, set of access and secret keys to use. So that's what I'm using here. Uh, and that was causing me about an uh, hour to an hour and a half of, of, uh, of delay on getting this thing done. So, um, so anyways, if you are wanting to play around with this and you wanted to ever change the access or secret keys, don't. <laughs> um, so that's just a little aside. So let's hop right into the good stuff. Um, we look here, we can, uh, let me just pull up the Docker dashboard about um, uh, what's running here. So we have uh, a couple uh, images running here and we actually have two that, that have stopped. So these are just actually um, these, little, uh, uh, these little helper containers so we can actually just get rid of those they when we started up all of the docker containers those two um you know just start up they say initialize some stuff in minio and LakeFS, and then they just exit so then the rest of these are running we have you know uh the trino coordinator we have minio um and then let me see if the, and then we have uh maria db hive metastore if you've ever played around with this, the some of the demos that I've had before. These are the four that we we always have. The two new uh, containers that we have for LakeFS is, of course, um, one that's running LakeFS. And then, uh, again, what, what kind of Paul you were alluding to before is that you're all using Postgres to kind of uh, store a lot of the metadata about, um, you know, what LakeFS is storing uh, about um, uh, these, these Git operations going on. So, so those are uh, all the containers that we have running now. Um, so first thing we can do, uh, let's just go, if we look at LakeFS, they have a, a nice little slick user interface at port 8000. So if I pull, let me pull this open and go to, actually, I think I already have it open here on this tab. So uh, we have, uh, you know, port 8000 open, and now I, I'm greeted with a login and a, and a um, for access key and secret access key. So as we kind of mentioned before, uh, let's not make the, uh, the issue of making that a simple one. We actually have to go in and uh, get the real or some some fake real key, <laughs> some some key that actually passes the, uh, the, the check. security check. Huh? The, yeah, the, the check. Yeah. To, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know where it happens, but it's not uh, it's not purely like LakeFS trying to uh, prevent simple usernames and passwords. At some point, like um, AWS or S3 uh, ha has a check like that, that uh, the key key is realistic. Got it, okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting that like, so this, I, well, what's weird is that like if MinIO doesn't ever run into that for some reason, but I'm guessing you guys are using one a particular library that does like enforce that, I guess. Yeah, I can I can uh, I can ask to find out specifically uh, where where that uh, happens. Yeah, that that we added uh, an hour and a half to my my demo making. <laughs> so 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 in this in this place here, we see the LakeFS user interface yep. um, with a cool mascot that I can't see what it is. So it's a little bit. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, can you tell us about that mascot? Yeah, he's really cute. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a rare type of uh, lake type animal it's called an axolotl oh it is uh, okay cool yeah. <laughs> what is that here how do you spell that <laughs> axo 
it's like uh, an amphibian, but it's like looks like very old and has these like external. There we go. Oh, look at that guy. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll have to add that. I mean, so it's spelled A-X-O-L. OTL, if you want to search that right now, if you're listening in. Uh, so, yeah, a really cute little guy. So, yeah, it looks just like him, too, the little uh, image that you have. So, um, so, so that that UI with the mascot runs on one Docker container in this environment here. Question, yep. though, um, when you scale that larger, is it also a cluster of machines running basically similar to Trino, or how does that work? Um, if you scale it... Um... Like if, if LakeFS is running on a lot of data, is there still like there's the one LakeFS server or is there like a cluster of them or something? Yeah. Or how much can, traffic do they even get? I don't know. You can um, you can scale it uh, between different workers. Um, okay. I, I actually haven't tr- tried that personally, um, but uh, it, it is scalable in that way. Hmm. Okay, cool. And but it's is it not tip, uh, typically like he- heavy need or anything like that? It just or it just depends on like usually just a production kind of thing where you'll you'll run into that. Um, yeah, typically um, for work, most of our users' workloads um, they can be handled by by one instance um, with just okay. the well. the metadata that it's keeping track of. Hmm. Um, Got it. But yeah, I mean for for for. Uh, for you know resiliency and, and and redundancy you can scale it to multiple workers very cool okay very nice so uh so what we did one of those little helper containers uh actually created for us um and you can see this too in the uh if we go back to the LakeFS docker compose uh thing right here uh you can see the the thing the basic command that was d- done by one of the the LakeFS setup it uh it logs in uh and runs the setup uh keys um that basically sets the setup keys and then creates this example repo so right when we first log in we're greeted with an an already existing example repo by that command that's run um so so nothing's in here yet um but uh so but this is where we can kind of get started now we're from uh, the Trino side, um, remember we're pointing already to this, uh, and so we should now be able to uh, w- once we uh, kind of run all all our stuff on Trino, um, we should be able to now uh, uh, basically be able to start creating stuff. So, what you're going to do for the schema now, uh, when you're like let's say you're creating a schema and creating the tables to address them, um, you're going to have like a little bit of a, a namespace uh, that that you'll need to use. So the namespace is going to be you know the the protocol which is going to be S3 uh, or S3A and uh, and then colon forward slash forward slash. Then you're going to have the name of of that um, of that repository. Um, and then uh, once, so so in this case, we, we called it example. And then you'd have another forward slash, and that's going to be the name of the branch. So by default, uh, we and we had this set in, uh, in the you know script that ran, uh, by default, we have that set to main, uh, just like you would in GitHub or something like that. And so from that point down, from that namespace, that example, the forward slash, you know, branch name, um, then you have another slash. And that's where the same way that you would in MinIO, you would actually be placing some some sort of like uh, bucket namespace. And so in this case, I'm calling it tiny because this is we're pulling from the uh, the tiny schema uh, for for the TPCH data. So 
let's go ahead and create that schema, uh, create schema minio.tiny with location, uh, with the location that I just kind of specified. Go ahead and run that. And it's going to take it just a schmeckant. So this just runs right in the Beaver, in this case here, running SQL statement goes via LakeFS into the object storage. Yep. So this go yeah, well, from dbeaver to, to Trino. Trino now is talking to LakeFS. LakeFS is then talking to Minio. So yes. it's kind of that thin layer in between. Uh, so uh, it captures the metadata and knows what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, or at least that's what it seems like. Correct us if we're wrong, Paul. You're the expert here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, uh, it is uh, kind of a stack of technologies working here. But, um, nice. So I'm so, so Oh. Go ahead. I was just going to say virtual high five, Brian. We, we're getting good at this guessing game. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're just going to start just going to start uh, agreeing and saying things are the way they are. And if we say it confidently enough, then people are going to believe us. Um, so next up, we'll, we'll go ahead and we're going to create the customer and orders table. Uh, and in the um, in this, uh, you know, this is again going customer and orders from that TPCH generated data set. So we'll create the table. It's going to use a CTAS statement, which is create table as uh, minio.tiny.customer. And uh, we're going to do that in the org format. And again, now at the external location, we're going to say all that previous namespace we just did for the schema, but then we're going to add the name of that table. So it's going to be a customer in this case. We'll go ahead and run that. And we should see pop up down here, 1,500 uh, rows get inserted. While that's running, I'm going to go pull up uh, MinIO because then we can actually take a look at what's going on on the MinIO side. Um, and MinIO has my, oh, <laughs> it's already pre-logged in because I already had the uh, the dumb browser in there in their example. Um, is this right, though? Hold on. I think I should be seeing, we should be seeing a, okay, that's been created now. We should now see, I thought we should see a, oh, no, no, no. This is my bad. So from MinIO, we don't see the logical folders. Is that right, Paul? Yeah, we only that, see that, that is correct. Okay, so now we're in LakeFS. We we see these by like kind of blob object files, but we in MinIO, but we don't see that in LakeFS. In LakeFS, we refresh. Now we're going to see that that logical uh, uh, folder structure. Um, you know, tiny, and then under that, we're going to see our our um, our um, folder so, under the, for the table. So let's go ahead and create the orders table now. We'll run that same CTAS thing that now we're just essentially just talking orders table instead. Great. And now it was 15,000 rows uh, that got inserted. So if we go back to like FS, boom, uh, we now have orders table that has all this you know, binary blob data sitting in there. Cool. So, okay, from there, I, I want to run a quick query. Uh, and this is going to be just a query against, uh, you know, a join that, run, that happens on customer and orders. Uh, so I'm going to go run that query real fast. And this is going from minio tiny customer, right? And again, just to remind everybody, like where the minio.tiny schema is pointing to a, a specific branch uh, in LakeFS. So we, we pointed that to the main branch. Um, we like, uh, you know, so that, that comes out with some, some data that we like. We're really happy with where it is. Why don't we take a snapshot? Why don't we take this, do a, a quick commit? So I'm gonna do this through the UI because I think the UI is super slick. Um, and I don't feel like, you've seen me doing enough CLI stuff with the other stuff and I didn't feel like uh, 
you know, there, there is a, a CLI, a whole list of CLI mm -hmm. stuff in the references that you can go through. But, you know, the, the, I always like going through the UI things because again, it's just so much more intuitive and, and uh, nicer to look at. So, um, so if we go click here, we see uncommitted changes. And this is really cool. This looks, this, the layout looks very similar to what you would see the on GitHub like, UI. Yeah. Yeah. It's a GitHub UI right there. So, um, so we see. Right. Three, we see three uh, lines here, the tiny uh, folder that got added, the nested folders that now have these blob files of, of you know, that, that essentially hold our, our table data. Um, and so I want to, um, I, I'm at a point where I want to commit these changes. Let's go ahead and click commit. We're going to put a little message saying, I'm just going to say init commit for customer orders. And commit those, and I can. I guess I can add a metadata field. Uh, what 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 am I? What, what kind of things would I expect to be putting here? Is that like a tag in in AWS, Paul, or is that what does that do there? Yes, uh, it's pretty free form. You could put like um, you know like Trino version or okay. um, or you know added by and then your name. Got anything. it. Very cool. Okay, so now we commit those changes and. Uh, Cool. So we have, and these are, uh, this is again showing kind of a lineage view of the commits that have happened on on branch main. Now let's go ahead and uh, and actually um, branch this out. So you know we have main at a pretty good state. I want to do a little bit of that experimentation stuff we were talking about before. So I'm going to click on create branch here, and I'm going to branch from the main branch, and I'm going to call this one sandbox. I have sandbox. And uh, as you can see, the the commit hash here, just like you know, Git, well, well, it looks the same. You have some SHA that's gonna tell you, uh, you know, like where where you're at in uh, in the lineage. Um, so okay, so now I need to create on the Trino side. You know, the the data is kind of logically copied over. Um, so, but I, I don't have any schema that's going to represent the same the same thing. So I need to create a schema that's going to point to that that branch now. So, um, so the same way we had the namespace before, it's S three A colon slash slash, and then we're still dealing with the example repository that hasn't changed. But what we're going to want to change now on the second point is we're po we're pointing to a new branch. So we're going to update our schema to point to the sandbox branch. And then still call the the schema uh, tiny at this point. So run that. We got a schema set up now, um, and uh, and now we want to actually create our new tables. Now, like you said, Paul, right? Like we don't have to actually copy any data here, so we don't have to run a CTAS like we did before. Um, but we still need to create the table. We still need the the, the schema that's going to point to that correct location. So what I recommend if you're doing this on Trino side. You do a show create table. And so if you run that, you'll get the create table statement here. And all you need to do is change. So this is showing the create table on the main branch on minio.tiny. So you're going to want to make, you're going to want to update the name of the schema. So in this case, we're going to call it tiny underscore sandbox for the schema name. And you're going to want to update again, the external location that's pointing to the sandbox instead. So you let's go ahead and uh, I have the the pre-can statement again. This will be in the show notes as well if you want to run run these uh, as yourself and play around with it. Um, but we'll run that table now. And so this instead of doing a CTAS, this is just a regular create table that's just putting the the same metadata that was in the other table there. And but it's just um, it's just pointing to the correct location now. And so now um, 
Uh, I'm going to do the same for orders. So I do a show create table for orders. I update the uh, branch that it's pointing to the sandbox uh, and make sure that I'm pointing to the correct um, to the correct schema for that table. And table, oh, <laughs> I was playing around with the uh, transactional uh, tables here. Ignore me here. Uh, so <laughs> I was trying to get some cooler part of this thing. So we do a create table without transactional for now. Hopefully we can get some cool delete functionality coming on later. And let me just do, I want to do a quick like scan. Does that, did that actually work? You know, let's look at the uh, customer table and just scan like the top 10. And sure enough, this is looking at the, the branched off sandbox. Again, we haven't added anything to that branch. It's still pointing to the same location as main. But now we have this like logical separation of, of where we are uh, or of, of where we're going to commit to. So if we add something, we're not going to affect anything on the main branch. We're going to affect it on, on the sandbox branch. So I can actually still, like if I run a, the exact same query I ran before with the sandbox, I can, I can get the exact same uh, results that I did before. Um, again, so it's, it's, it's the same thing. Um, and here is where I was wanting to tr do some cool drop table stuff. But what I think I'm going to do instead, uh, and this is going to be that live element that I hadn't been able, I didn't get enough time to plan for. But why don't we actually do a create table from line item? Uh, and so bear with me. This is going to be super, super live and super raw. But we're going to do a create table as, and we're going to do it um, against the tiny sandbox. Let's go ahead and do that. So your plan is basically to insert another, like a third table into one branch and see yep. if it shows up in one branch and not the other, is that right? That's correct. So that's the that's the goal we're going for here. So we needed to change, again, the schema to tiny underscore sandbox. And we want to make sure that the external location is pointing to um, the sandbox location. So we update that the sandbox location. Now we got to update the table names that I just copied. So we need line item i think it's just all one word right manfred yeah yep, it is one word okay and uh that should be good so we can create this now sandbox line item uh and this is adding some different change there cool and so now i should be able to actually query out minio tiny sandbox line item from the sandbox uh, one. So actually, let's go ahead and query that out. And then if I copy this and I actually point to main, which is minio.tiny without the underscore sandbox, it let me see fail. if I, it should fail. Let's see the fail. Yeah, we failed. Does not <laughs> <laughs> so it looks like it's working. <laughs> yeah. So so if I am now made this change to, to sandbox, if I go into tiny, I see three uh, locations here, right? I see those, these three uh, subfolders that are representing my tables. If I come back to the example re uh, repository again, I go back and in again into that tiny schema, and then I go, I'm um, uh, oh, sorry, this is under main. Uh, I only see the two uh, the the two folders there. So this is where you're getting that really cool isolation. And again, to be very, very clear, the same way that Git doesn't do the copies, you know, the full-on copies of data and, uh, until it absolutely has to, right? Um, there's too much of a difference or there's like all these, I, I don't know, actually know the edge cases. I'm not going to pretend to. But <laughs> there are some times where you will actually have to copy the data. But for the most part, it's going to be just these little diffs that you're storing. And that is what we've done here. So we have two versions of the data, 
well, we only have basically one copy. Uh, and so you're only paying the penalty of storing that data once. So um, very, very cool stuff here. And, uh, and I would say that's, uh, you know, do we, anything before I hop off this demo, Paul, did you want to- I want to see out? something. Okay. And you yeah. go into the MinIO browser and see what's happening there. Yeah, let's do that. Let's see, refresh. So there's this underscore lake FS piece here. A lot of metadata stuff that has a whole bunch of- uh, So that's you know, like, it's like weeding around in a .git directory in a Git repository. We're yep. like, what are all these weird names and files? So Yeah, exactly. Okay. And you just have, cool. yeah. Very, very cool. Um, Paul, anything I you want me to kind of, you know, live demo uh, uh, on the spot or show off anything? Um, yeah, no, I, I thought, how do I actually haven't didn't get to the merge part? Is that what this compare thing is? Yes. Um, if you go to compare, and uh, I always forget the order, but um, one of them is going to be sandbox. One of them you can just click on sandbox. Uh, okay. If you uh, go back, sorry. Yeah, just click. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Uh, other way around. Yeah, other way around. Okay. Sandbox, and then we need to um, do main. Yeah. So it'll show you. I feel I like it would have been, yeah, I feel like it would be, it was the other way around. Maybe I just needed to click a little refresher. Let me see. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think back now. Oh, to, like, no, no, no. You know what I did? I did a dumb thing. You don't have yet. the, it's I not committed yet. yet. <laughs> this is still new enough for me. So let, let's commit the changes on Sandbox. This is why live is so much fun. And we're going to say add um, the line item to Sandbox. Find item to sandbox and commit that change. And now I believe if we go to compare, let's refresh it. Well, you have to change one of the branches, but. Yeah, now uh, uncompare, switch uh, the left oh. one to main. Oh, why did it switch both? There we go. There we go. Hey, we got, mm -hmm. we see the change. Oh, cool. So now let's do a merge. And uh, are you sure you'd like to merge? Yes, I would. And this is where you actually break things, right? Is the, is the merge operation. <laughs> now we should be able to go from MinIO, so MinIO tiny line item. Let's uh, see if that works now. Oh, uh, well, no, this shouldn't work yep. now. This should still fail because we haven't created the table. So this will fail, Does still does not exist, but the data should be there, right? So if we like, for instance, if we look over and we see, let's go one more quick time to uh, main. Now we see line item data there, uh, and that's all that's all fine and good. But we need to still create that table like we had before. So let's do a oh, quick like the metadata in the hive metastore. Yep, the metadata is not there. The the data is there. The metadata is not there. So um, so let's go quickly malinger this. Uh, this is actually coming in from. Let's get rid of this table. So while uh, you're hacking there, Paul, um, I noticed before something interesting, uh, and that is. There was seems to be a, a command line command that replaces maybe I'm guessing some of the functionality in the UI, something lake cuddle or something like that. Did I see that right? Yes. Yep. Uh, anything you can do in the UI obviously can be a command line um, command and, and even more. Um, it is called lake CTL. Mm. Um, oh, so it's not like in cube cuddle where it's cube cuddle, it's you're calling it CTL. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so all I changed here, I got the, the create table. I changed back to main because now we're going from sandbox to main. And then I created the uh, tiny thing here. We're creating the metadata. And now lo and behold, drum roll data. We got data. <laughs> nice. All right. So, cool. All the way merged over pretty free. Yep. That's cool. So we've, we've, uh, done a, uh, some commits. Uh, on both sides, we did a branch and we did a merge uh, and, and went through the full full cycle there. So, very very exciting stuff, uh, and I'm I think that's uh, pretty 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 neat. So, so Brian, what did you do that the demo girls were were, were all with you today? Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's because I didn't really sleep much last night trying to get this demo <laughs> together that they were like smiling upon me. So yeah, that you were well done. Yeah. Um, so uh, with that, uh, Paul, do you have anything we, you want to cover before we hop onto the PR of the week? Um, that was a, that was a great great demo. I think it gave people um, you know a nice idea of of different operations available. Um, you know, it's uh, obviously you see that uh, uh, between like the query engine and uh, a tool like LakeFS, there's there are like these uh, commands to, yeah. uh, you know, create the the table and the new schema. Um, at the moment, LakeFS is, is sort of mainly tool agnostic in that we yeah. just, we kind of work with everything, yeah, but don't yeah. have like deeper integrations. Um, I could see it definitely in the future that, um, you know, deeper integrations are developed where, there is a more seamless um, interaction between uh, these these open source data tools. Would automate um, some of those things, yeah. That's yeah, sure. very cool. Um, but um, but it's it's really cool. It's really cool functionality. Um, again, great demo. And, and one uh, thing I wanted to kind of finalize on that is, I mean, like it's very clear why I have you on here. I think for uh, hopefully it's clear to everybody that that we like why why you're on here, like like LegaFS. You know, we, it's not like uh, Trino community, a lot of times we're very focused on like, you know, read performance and getting all that stuff right. But, you know, the data has to be right. And ultimately a big part of the data engineer's job is to deal with ingestion, is to deal with all of these, you know, crummy little pieces of making all these other teams happy uh, and, and all the needs that they have. And I think LegFS is going to be one of those pieces that, you know, really ease that burden so that, you know, nerds on the Trino world can all, you know, uh, rejoice and be like, ha, ah, now I can just, you know, query and make my queries run super, super fast now. Uh, you know, you take away that that pain. So I, I just, I wanted to make one, make it clear why why you're on here today. And that's because, you know, it's, it, you're, you're ultimately taking away that pain from a, from a lot of these engineers. So. Yeah, it definitely looks like a very interesting uh, sort of like, you know, tool to have in your tool belt for those use cases where you want to separate different uh, users into their own little realms, but stay in the same data. It's pretty cool. Very nice. Yes. All right. Well, with that, on to the PR of the week. Again, I am not fast enough to share my screen. Bear with me. <laughs> and find that button. Find that button. It's because there's like 50 buttons to, to, to click on the way. I need to like draw out a longer intro music or something. Anyways, we're done with the demo of the week. Let's go uh, talk a little bit about uh, this uh, week's PR of the week. Uh, it was done by uh, one of the um, uh, folks in the community named Padrig. Um, 
There's the so I thought this was a really really neat PR a because you know again I'm I'm all about the visuals right and uh, so uh, Patrick basically took um, one of these things that a lot of people complain about on our web UI which is that you can't quickly determine what actually caused an error or, a, or an exception um, very easily without actually digging into a lot of the stack trace and even sometimes the stack trace itself is like kind of missing some context and we have these little like um, these error codes that are actually super, super informative. And we've just never thought to expose that until now. And so this was um, merged in the um, 362. So if you, uh, whenever you get a chance to update 362, take a look at if you do have like a, a um, either a 500 or a 400 error that, that comes back, um, you know, definitely take a look at uh, these, these little codes that you'll start to see up there. And they, they actually do like, you know, so administratively preempted that used to say something like very, like, I think, no, it just said external error. So it says external error still, but then it has this dash, like this is what the code is and, and what, and how we categorize this. Um, so this is, I think traditionally just used for like counts, like how many of these do we have? Um, but now we actually have this as part of the web UI so that you can actually see this. So I thought that was just, I don't know, to me that that's just like quickly gets your mind into, oh, okay, this is the thing that caused it. I don't have to worry. This is a user initiated thing, or this is something in this particular area of the code. So I need to start thinking about where I should be focused, you know, focusing my time and attention on. And, you know, especially if prod down or some, you know, you didn't have Lake FS and so bad data got into there and you can't roll back um you know you 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 uh you ultimately you know having these these quick indicators of what to do uh, is super super useful so so thanks a lot patrick for uh for um you know putting this in it's like small thing but it's like super useful right yeah patrick patrick has good mm -hmm. insights because he he helps uh users a lot so he he learns the pain points and the web ui is definitely one of those super powerful tools that is Geared a bit more towards ed expert users. So if you're not an expert user, getting these little helpers is super helpful. So thanks again. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, as quickly as we got onto the PR, let's get on to the question of the week. This time I'm ready. <laughs> this time ah. I, I just had to scroll down just a little. Ah. Um, <laughs> okay. So this week's question of the week, uh, I have a little link to it uh, if you're on the Trino, D, uh, Trino DB Slack. Uh, if you are not on Trino Slack yet, uh, definitely join and you can just click on this link for the question of the week in the show notes and it'll take you to uh, like a little sign up uh, over there. But, uh, and then after that, it will take you to this question. Um, but this comes from Marius. Uh, we had him on the show back at episode 20 um, to just discuss a little bit about uh, you know, being a Trinubi, he he joined uh, the Trino community roughly. I think what was it, February, March timeframe? Yeah, and, and and remember, he just had another merge happening. He contributed the list aggregate function yep. in three sixty two, so he's yep. very active, and so it's good. Yeah, he ramped up super, super fast. And so we were really ha proud to have him in the community. But, uh, you know, he he's also very active on, uh, you know, bringing up these really, really great questions um, that, you know, we need to do better at talking a little more about. And so um, so he's working on DBT Trino. Uh, the, the, he already has a, a working DBT Trino adapter. 
Um, but uh, he wanted to kind of ex keep extending the functionality. And so he was looking at this, you know, how do I implement this insert overwrite functionality? And this kind of ties back into some of the stuff I was trying to do for the demo because I was trying to delete um, some of the data so that we could, you know, essentially have the sandbox where you, uh, you know, you make the foul uh, problem of, uh, of just deleting uh, way too much. Um, so maybe if I had um, the, uh, the, the um, Paul's, Paul, you have this thing called a, a bagel. Uh, what is it called? The full bagel? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the everything bagel. Everything bagel. Um, so there's a blog. I'll, I'll link. I'll link this blog in the uh, show notes as well. Um, it's a it's a much more full fuller um, uh, Docker composed um, uh, setup that has like Slack or sorry Slack. It has a spark and and uh and a couple other things so if you wanted to do like deletes and things like that uh you know that things that trino is just like you know here or there with depending on the connector um you know again uh that uh basically you would be able to do this with spark but that's an aside insert overwrite um you know when it comes to rdbms hive iceberg um really comes down to and i actually didn't finish the uh the notes here but that's fine uh what what ultimately comes down to is, um, you know, in, in Trino, the general thing I I, I kind of uh, like to get across to people that are expecting that Trino is going to replace everything, is that Trino is primarily focused on, you know, kind of these what we would call like an OLAP use case. And you know, if I were to be very grossly uh, oversimplistic, that that means we kind of focus a lot more on reads and we focus a little less on writes now. There's a lot more that goes into it than just that, you know, and, and there's even overlap in what OLTP is and OLOLAP is. But, uh, you know, if you were to generalize, you know, there's when it comes to it, like OLTP is transactions, you're talking about updates, you're talking about inserts, a lot of the stuff that, you know, like LakeFS and Iceberg and a lot of the uh, a lot of these, uh, you know, Kafka, like they they have a lot of these connectors that that handle a lot of these like upsert type type operations and sorry, Spark, I meant to say Spark, not Kafka. Um, and so they do a lot of these kind of more upsert operations. Now, Trino is slowly starting to pivot its head and, and try to integrate some of these. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to say these are never going to be part of what Trino does, but the, the initial, the, in general, when you think about Trino and one thing we typically like to, um, you know, orient newcomers that are, are asking, um, these types of questions, you know, is like, uh, why are the deletes so limited in Trino or why can't we do these things? And it's, we can, uh, we definitely can, we definitely probably will. Um, the, the really thing that comes down to is what's the priorities. And so currently Trino typically sits, you know, as a, as an OLAP, uh, kind of, uh, once the data is in place, you read the data out and, you know, is typically used by a BI tool or, uh, federated. Yeah, it's, it's, it's analytics, right? Like ultimately yeah. why Trino was created, it was to make analytics possible at a speed and performance that wasn't and still isn't possible with other tools. Right. And that's where right. Trino shines and excels and kicks, whatever, you know, <laughs> Exactly. So it, it's really, really good at that. And, um, the, the right support is just something that uh, because Trina has the connector concept and is very, very flexible, it also ends up having to deal with the differences, right? Like say, for example, in Hive, you can't just delete 
a little record because while well, the record is actually something that's hidden in a file yes. and the file is hidden in a directory and you can't just like delete little bits in it you would have to delete like the whole partition if it's a directory and that kind of stuff so it gets more complicated where versus others connectors they can so that's where we run into these edge cases but yeah. there's definitely like what you're saying there's lots of stuff still coming on so yeah i think you know in general what the kind of right type cases that you'll you'll see trino used for uh if you are going to see one is going to be like an append type thing where Yo. you're just copying data essentially and you're not trying to do any type of transactional you know insertion where you're or or like oh this thing these these two rows match so therefore this one gets overridden and I'll delete it and then I'll write in this new one. Like that's where Trino is yeah. explicitly like a, decided. Like not. the typical one, the typical one that we showed it before now is the create table as, right? Which is basically yeah. a copying iteration. Yep. And, and we actually, we talked about um, update and stuff in one of our early episodes where David Stryker was on who yep. implemented update, right? And we're still working towards supporting SQL merge, stuff like that. So mm -hmm. there's lots of stuff going on. So stay tuned on, on what happened there. Totally. All right. Well, uh, once again, uh, Paul, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Like uh, really open up our eyes on, uh, you know, yeah, figuring out about LakeFest and, uh, you know, it was great having you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I hope to uh, make it back maybe one day on a future episode. Totally, yeah. When we, we, we get a couple more goodies to to start demoing and playing around with, uh, definitely we'll have you back on. And uh, don't be a stranger for sure. Thanks. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. All right. Well, I'll see you all in two weeks. Music for the show is from the Mega Man Six gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.